Because that is where the National Lampoon magazine was founded. Well, founded and where they published from. Um, they were originally a group of young men, uh, Henry Beard and um, uh, Doug Kinney, came, met at Harvard, and went on to, uh, they decided they were going to start their own magazine after they published a successful book parody entitled Board of the Rings. Um, they thought they would, they would have something. They also ran the Harvard Lampoon, and so they figured they would license the Harvard Lampoon name and kind of take it and hit the ground running with it, with their own magazine. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, they started on the Harvard Lampoon, which is a magazine that's been around since, you know, sometime in the late 1800s. Uh, um, yeah, I have this theory about the Harvard Lampoon. You know how, like, they always say, like, when you're in Edinburgh, there was, like, the Cambridge Footlights and the Oxford Review, and they go, you know, that's the group that started Money Python. Mm-hmm. And then, like, when you're in Edinburgh, you go see the show, and it's just pretty shitty <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we I think we saw like the car we saw one of them I remember seeing like the, the foot I don't think it was it was like some it was some Cambridge group that wasn't that good 
Yeah, so it has this, like, you know, high pedigree of, you know, famous alumni, like, you know, um, and we're talking about, like, Cambridge Footlights and Oxford Review, where I think the Harvard Lampoon, I mean, have you ever read a copy of the Harvard Lampoon? No, I haven't. Yeah, I mean, it's like, they came from the the Harvard Lampoon, which is, of course, the humor magazine of Harvard, and I know Conan O'Brien was also worked on the the magazine, and again, do we do this a lot now? We, we name drop people we know? That's that okay. I, I, think that's, I think that's kind of cool, dude, because we do have a little, but we're not just comedy nerds. We are uh-huh. fan on the periphery of, of the comedy scene, me more yeah, than we're, you. Yeah, we're not just fanboys. <laughs> we actually work in the, in, in the profession of comedy. Yes, yes. <laughs> no, um, my, my, my friend and also former boss, uh, Michael Small, used to be the editor of the Harvard Lampoon. Uh, uh, he gave me my first, uh, one of my first professional gigs uh, working as an editor for Wired. And now uh, he's a friend of mine who lives here in New York and does my tale storytelling show. Oh, often. excellent. That's very nice. Yeah. That's a good But he, he was actually Conan O'Brien's editor. Okay, all right. At the Harvard Lampoon. But anyways, we digress by name dropping. And so, yeah, so essentially the movie covers, it's, it's a biopic of National Lampoon and Doug Kenny, and it covers, you know, the origins of the National Lampoon when it started at uh, as the Harvard Lampoon, and then it spun off into the magazine. Um Here's something, uh, I, I think one of the things we wanted to cover was uh, in 2015, there was a documentary on the National Lampoon called Drunk, Stone, Brilliant, Dead. There was this totally outrageous voice. After reading that first National Lampoon, I went, wow. In those days, magazines were a bigger deal. People defined themselves by the magazines they read. Breasts. I would seek out the magazine on the off chance that there would be some breasts. This is a good documentary. You saw that, right? Yeah, that was an excellent documentary. I mean, that was to, I think we both kind of had the same thought as when we were watching the um, uh, brilliant, futile, and stupid gesture. We both had the same thought that we wished we were watching the documentary instead. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like anything that's a biopic. Uh, just, I, I, I think you have similar tastes. It's just like, I always think the real-life documentary with the real-life people is always, you know, a hundred times more interesting than like, oh, here's a skeleton sketch of what really happened with a bunch of made-up lines put in there by a screenwriter of what their dialogue might have been like. Could you just introduce yourself? My name is Doug Kenny. I started the uh, National Lampoon. What if you say, I was the man who changed comedy forever, but I couldn't change myself? Really? Blow me. Yeah, I mean, should we, I guess we should, uh, maybe, do we need a little more background first before we, because we, I think we both have pretty strong opinions about the movie. Maybe a little more background for the kids first before we uh, delve into that, or? Yeah, so anyways, uh, A Feudal Stupid Gesture, it stars Will Forte as uh, Doug Kenny. You know, running our own magazine, we can do anything we want. We can publish knock-knock jokes. Knock-knock. Who's that? Me. Me here. Me not doing the magazine. <laughs> That can go an issue one. It has a pretty good cast. You know, you have Thomas Lemon being Michael O'Donohue, uh, like Joel McHale, who starred on Community with Chevy Chase, playing Chevy Chase. Um, um, Seth Green is uh, Christopher Guest. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they have Matt Lucas from Little Britain playing Tony Hendra, who, uh, ironically, just this past week, I was on Tony Hendra's podcast, like, right after seeing uh, him being portrayed by Matt Lucas. Okay, and how did that, how, what was that like? 
Oh, that was fine. Yeah. I was plugging my new book, uh, Meet the Deplorables, Infiltrating Trump America, yeah. available on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. <laughs> and we'll also put a link in the description for the podcast. Um, yeah, um, yeah um, Doug Kinney is an interesting guy. Um, he was basically one of the new wave of comedy that was kind of starting to come out, That uh, the kind of the underground humor that was rising up there in the 70s. Uh, he kind of come, comes from a well-to-do family. Uh, he was born in West Palm Beach, Florida. The, uh, interesting. I did not know he was named after General Douglas MacArthur. Um, mm-hmm. And then he moved to his family moved to Ohio first, went to Ohio, and then Chagrin, oh, Chagrin Falls, Ohio. Um, as he he mentions in the movie on several times, he'd like to introduce himself from there. Catherine, I'm the woman you're hitting on. Doug Kenny, Chagrin Falls, Ohio. And then he went to a Catholic uh, high school. And apparently his dad was a uh, tennis pro at the um, country club. And yeah, so not only that, but it's like that was the basis of the movie Caddyshack, which he later went on to write and produce. I think he produced, yeah, he was a writer and producer on uh, Caddyshack. So what we're trying to get at is there's the biopic, A Feudal Stupid Gesture, and there's the documentary, Drunk, Stupid, Brilliant, Dead. And we would just wanted to see what the biopic got right and what was actually the reality as seen in the documentary. Right. So now we can talk about the, the <laughs> things we didn't like. Well, first, again, a little more background. Okay. Uh, right. uh, a Single Stupid Gesture was directed by David Wayne, who also directed Wet Hot Crazy Summer and was a member of The State. Have you, did you ever watch The State? I mean, everyone goes there, it's like one of the legendary, uh, you know, sketch groups. And I still remember not being that funny. Was it funny? The, they were uh, kind of, I mean, it was there on MTV, I remember, and then... Um God, who's who's them? I remember the story. So the story was like MTV was picking a sketch troupe to be uh-huh. on the on and to be you know given their own show. And I think it was between the, be like the Edge, yeah, Edge of comedy. The time, but yeah, MTV was Edge. Yeah, so it was between the State and I think the Broken Lizard guys. Oh, yeah? yeah, Super Trooper guys. I think I, I heard something about that. So, and the state guys obviously uh, won out. But you know, they're all. I gotta give them. Uh, I can't really remember the show as much, but those guys have all kind of gone on to do their own things, and I think they're all pretty funny, actually. Yeah, I mean, they're all done quite well for themselves. Mm-hmm. Well, I know we watch we watch the Wet Hot Crazy Summer series, and well, that they found up that that wound up being pretty enjoyable. Yeah, the, the 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 first. I mean, there's a new one out. Uh, oh, okay. Not within the last year, but uh, the one that came out about two years ago was mm-hmm. pretty darn funny. Yeah, it's funny. So we we trust these guys. We're ready for them to. We're giving them our. They've got the comedy credentials, and we're ready. We're, we're strapped in our seats, and we're ready for the biopic. Yeah. So David Wayne directed uh, yeah. the biopic. Uh, and here's something again. Let's start going into what was reality and what was not reality. Um, this wasn't covered. I didn't know there was like a third member, uh, a third person who helped start the National Lampoon along with uh, Doug Kenny and Henry Beard. It was a guy named Robert Hoffman. Yeah. Like, Sorry, go ahead. Uh, Robert Hoffman wasn't covered in the movie. No, no, no. Robert Hoffman out of the history. Yeah, the, I wonder why. Yeah, it's interesting because he just kind of – he wasn't he wasn't um, futile or stupid or crazy or drunk or stoned. Apparently, he sold a share in National Lampoon and started to collect uh, art. So, so kind of not really in the doing sugar bowls and cocaine. 
Yeah, no, but he sold his uh, shares in 1975. I think that was like the, the, the buyout for everyone because uh, part of their contract when they got the magazine started with one Maddie Simmons, uh, who in the movie is played by Matt Walsh. The Mormons are protesting. The feminists hate us. What do we do to the Catholics? Liza Minnelli? We are being sued by Disney. Maybe it wasn't such a hot idea to have Minnie Mouse flashing her tits. She has pasties on. It was, you know, always funny. Mm -hmm. um, part of the thing was, was after five years, they had the option to get their contract uh, bought out uh, in their shares. And at the, in 1975, uh, uh, the publisher, Maddie Simmons, had to pay out five million dollars uh, to Doug Kenny, Henry Beard, and Robert Hoffman as part of the initial deal of which they entered International Lampoon. All the Lampoon guys, I mean, not all of them, but the founders, I mean, they all came from Harvard, and they came from pretty wealthy families. Um, Henry Beard, uh, this is a, a fact that wasn't covered in the movie. He is the great-grandson of the American vice president, John C. Breckenridge. Oh, my God. I wonder if there's a phone call of him. <laughs> Maybe there's a telegraph. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, his uh, he was kind of distanced from his family. He grew up in a hotel. He was kind of like a, uh, what do you call it, a catcher in the rye type guy. Yeah, but I think when he says hotel, it's like growing up in, you know, it's almost like a penthouse type right. thing because it's on East 60, oh, East 69th Street, which ironically I am gigging on this weekend on East 85th Street. So oh, not pretty too close. Far Fairly close. I'm, I'm oh. going to be gigging. Yeah, so, um, and he was also in the Army Reserves. Which he didn't like too much, apparently. Yeah, so anyways, I think, you know, they cover him a little bit more three-dimensional in the documentary because mm -hmm. one funny thing that Henry Beard would do is he'd always be smoking a pipe, and whenever uh, someone would come into National Lampoon and pitch him a story, his reaction was always uh, tempting, tempting. <laughs> okay, I can kind of see So that, people yeah. say they didn't know if he thought – that meant either uh, he thought the story was a piece of shit or he thought it was the most brilliant thing uh, ever. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And then he kind of went on to write uh, kind of comic novels, kind of uh, uh, like New York Times bestsellers, but kind of I think he wrote up a book about political correctness in the 90s, also um, Miss Piggy's Guide to Life. Yeah, so he didn't really go – I mean, he wrote New York Times bestsellers, but like one of them was like O.J. Simpson's Notebook. Yeah, I know. It was like those kind of like kind of cashing in on uh, – you know, what was popular Pop kind of thing. whatever, yeah. and, like, crank it out. But the thing is, you know, Animal, or, uh, well, of course, Animal House stands the test of time, which uh, Doug Kenny wrote, and also Caddyshack stands the test of time. But none of Henry Beard's New York Times bestseller books stand the test of time. <laughs> Your average person wouldn't be able to name any of those bestsellers off the top of their head. In fact, it was a surprise to me, uh, you know, of the books that he wrote post National Lampoon. But uh, the thing about that wasn't covered in the movie was, um, like, the minute he got the check, he quit. They kind of, actually, they, they do it in the, in, in the movie. They do mention it. And, like, he, he just kind of says, I think the quote was, like, uh, basically, like, he just packed up his desk and was like, fuck you all. to his, But not in a mean one. He didn't say it, like, angrily. It was just, like, a, a statement, a matter of fact. He's like, fuck you all. I'm leaving. Bye. And that was it. Yeah, it was some, I think the same was actually something like, uh, fuck you all, I hated every minute of this. Yeah, and then, <laughs> and then just left. You know, yeah, just, and, and, and in retrospect, he said he was tired of playing uh, parent to the staff. 
Yeah, I could I could see that. I think that would get a little old after a while. Well, within that, within that, they covered the movie. Doug Kenny, I, I didn't know it was this long. He took off for two years. He just like left for two years. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't really in the movie. They kind of mentioned it, but they didn't. Yeah, they didn't mention it was two years. Yeah, and he went off to write a novel, but uh, I believe in the documentary they came back and all he had written was like about a chapter and a half. Yeah, and then and that went straight into the trash can. Well, what was well, yeah in the movie they don't really go into the divorce part because that's when he went all crazy and and left and he was going through a divorce then, then as well. Well, he hinted that in the movie because he was like boning all the staff members right. and just always out partying and stuff. So um, yeah, I just got I don't know if that was true that they were actually roommates in real life. Huh? Yeah, that would be something we could delve into. But then we could segue into the things that were completely made up for the movie, okay. which is uh, there was a lot of breaking of the fourth wall, and I believe we are both not fans of this uh, that was seen in the movie, um, the use of Martin Mull as older Doug Kenny. These actors don't look exactly like the real people. But come on, do you think I look like Will Forte when I was 27? You think Will Forte is 27? Now, but, okay. Okay. Uh, older Martin Mole of Dog Cable. Before we get into it, I wouldn't. I'm not a Martin Mole hater. I do. I did enjoy the Fernwood tonight. Like seeing him in uh, in uh, casting him. I do find him funny. Um, and when he does his Martin Mull thing, I think that's that's pretty interesting. I have no idea why he was in this movie, though. Well, I heard a uh, interview with David Wayne on WTF, and they just said we wanted a you know an unconventional narrative device uh, where we could cover information without having to be you know like a linear uh, sort of plot structure. Yeah, but it was kind of just weird. So, like, what? So, he's Doug... So, he was, like... Like, Doug Kinney dies and then continues to get older after... I mean, I just... The, the logic of it was kind of... Was so, like, why not just yeah, use Doug so Kinney? he's modern day Doug Kenny. But if you... Again, I think they're playing to the kids who might not know who Doug Kenny is. That, you know... Because the minute I go, why is, like, old Martin Mull playing modern-day Doug Kenny, when we all know that Doug Kenny uh, is dead, you know, in what, like, was it 1980? 1980, yeah. That was just, yeah, it was just a weird choice. I think you, you dug up a story on uh, why even why Martin Mull was even weirder than... Well, here's one thing. It's just like, he's, the, my first reaction is, oh, look, there's Martin Mull. <laughs> so it was like you have Will Forte, uh, you know, at least they put on like a bad wig. And first, that was like my first reaction, like of the opening of the movie. It's like, oh, look, there's two actors wearing bad wigs. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole thing, especially when you do these and they do these period pieces. It's like they can't, I don't know, they just can't get it right. And you just think if they could spend, it's not even spending more money. It's just like none of the clothes look lived in. And, you know, everything just looks too new. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, you know, it's just, you know, wardrobe. Just put them in wardrobe. And, yeah, it's like a lot of bad wigs. But the Martin Mull, the Martin Mull was – so, again, it's like uh, Will Forte is – at least he put on a Doug Kenny wig uh, for the movie. But shouldn't Martin Mull have put on some sort of Doug Kenny type look? <laughs> and Will Forte had such a, you know, 
con- not contrived style of speak, stylized uh, way of speaking, where Martin Mull just talked like Martin Mull. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Any effort to be like, oh, that's that guy playing an older version of that guy. It was more like, there's that guy and there's Martin Mull. Yeah, I mean that that was just you know, and it was I can see what they were saying when they were they're <clears throat> using him to 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 break things up and narratively carry the carry the story along. But then there was just like like the weird points when they had to like you know they have the African American couple walk walk by outside the lampoon office and they're like, well, there's there's no African American people in here, and then they have to like break off and and go into that. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean. They had explained that, you know, well, yeah, like, well, of course there wasn't. It was just that group of people making humor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I I think that was just like an arbitrary thing. It just didn't justify anything other than, yeah, it was a bunch of white kind of rich guys making the humor, but that's the humor they made. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think they were just going to, they were trying to PC it down or something, you know? It was just, it was just kind of odd. It was like, was that really necessary? Yeah, you would just go, does that move the story of the Lampoon <laughs> forward? Uh, but, you know, I guess Monty Python didn't have any African Americans. Yeah. They're British. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and they were all kind of white, wealthy guys as well, so it's just like, and that's the humor they make. Yeah. And it was, it's not like you go, well, where's, I mean, there has been people who've made comments about the use of women in Monty Python, you know, how they're kind of props. Carol Cleveland was pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. But they've got the, but then, you know, like people over here, the UK people are really into guys dressing like women. That's like a really <laughs> big thing to them. And Canadians. And Cana- yeah. Yeah, that was like, uh, well, they had these things they call them pantos, pantomimes, every year at Christmas. And I think they have them around Easter, too. And there's a lot of dudes dressing like women. Yeah. Yeah. So. But about this Martin Mole thing, um, one thing that was like a weird casting of Martin Mole, like during the 70s um, and covered in the movie, um, National Lampoon spun off into the National Lampoon Radio Hour, which spun off into the live show Lemmings. Uh, we rehearsed a little warm-up. First, the right eyebrow, ready, and one, and two, and... Martin Mull in the 70s came to one of the Leving shows uh, when it was in New York, and he went backstage, and he just uh, liked to tell the, the cast how much uh, he really liked the show and how fabulous they were. Uh, Bill Murray, one of the performers at the time, uh, went, went up to him and started chasing him down the streets with shouts of, you're a medium talent, Mull, a medium talent. <laughs> that's that's what you get, yeah. And Mole put Mole put out like a lot of. I mean, I knew him kind of first knew him from like Mary Hartman and Fernwood Tonight, and and that's when he started getting kind of big. But he he was doing like a lot of comedy albums in the seventies. Like, I had a friend working at a record store in Austin that you know still has vinyl and everything, and they had like they had a whole Martin Mole section, which I was a little surprised at. Yeah, but, and just another thing, just to sidetrack back to Mil, Bill Murray chasing Martin Mull down the street and screaming at him. Uh, my friend, once again, he was the guy who was the editor of the Harvard Lampoon. His first job was with People Magazine, and his job was to interview uh, Bill Murray. And when when he started interviewing Bill Murray just started going off him on the same sort of way as he went off on Martin Mull. Uh-huh. Um, because uh, he was from People Magazine, right. and uh, just just to paraphrase uh, my friend uh, at the time, 
Bill Murray was doing kind of a lot of coke. <laughs> that, was, that, that might have been the reason why he chased uh, Martin Mull down the street. Yeah, I think everybody was doing a lot of coke back then. But one thing I hated in the movie is um, it opens with a food fight. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's just like, um, what I read was two of the food fights of the four shown in the movie were real, and two were just made up uh, as a just narrative type structural device. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I don't like the minute they met, they got into a big food fight. And that just kind of annoyed me where, to the point where I almost stopped watching the <laughs> movie. No, you got to power through. And that's the first minute. Yeah, you got to power through, man. Now, well, the, the, it's interesting because that, like, the trailer, the movie just, it doesn't seem to move as quick as you think it should. Like, the trailer, and not, I'm just, I mean, pacing-wise, not like, you know, going through the narrative. Because, like, if you watch the trailer, the trailer moves pretty rapid. Right, and, and and it seems to kind of work pretty well, but in the in the movie, it just it doesn't work. Right. Yeah. It's like, the sort of pace yeah, the like the, it's like it's not fast enough in the movie, you know, or, or the parts, you know, like especially like the beginning part with the Martin Mole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was kind of odd, and also the other thing that I was just reading is that um, uh, what's his name, uh, <clears throat> Doug Kinney's older brother, who passed yeah. away, he was actually twenty when he died. Oh wow! Yeah, because like the was movie, actually a younger brother, or he passed old, when he was like a teenager. Yeah, it was his older brother. Um, so his brother was twenty when he died, which huh? um, I, from the movie I got that he was younger than Doug. Oh, I thought he was an older brother. Oh, did you? Okay, maybe that was just me. Or the family. Yeah, maybe that was just me. Yeah, but um, and then another thing they got long. They didn't. They have that whole scene where they're. They're pitching the magazine and getting it turned down. But actually, when they were at Harvard Lampoon, uh, their first big break was uh, Mademoiselle hired them to do like a photo funny parody based on Mademoiselle. And they got paid like $7,000 in 1970s money to do it. Wow, that was yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, so it wasn't – I don't think it was like that hard of a pitch to get them because it was like, you know, established brand, Harvard Lampoon. We'll just make it national, and we're already getting paid, you know, money from Mademoiselle. Yeah, I mean, it was it – was, yeah, I don't th- – I think that's just a little of their, uh, you know, trying to create a little bit of the legend there. I'm sure it wasn't super easy, but, you know, they did have the backing. And then what was the um, – so the, their publisher, Maddie Simmons – and then yeah, but that was he was what was it like family the family circle? What were some of the magazines that he was doing? Oh, I think it was like Weight Watchers. Yeah, magazine. Weight Watchers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, again, uh, you know, some good stuff. Like uh, originally they wanted the duck logo. Like it was like the, they have the Playboy Bunny. We're gonna have the National Lampoon Duck. And they had like the hippie art art directors. That bit was true. They got like the worst kind of possible art directors. It was kind of like this. Art crumb style, uh, you know, uh, look to the art direction of it. Right. Which totally didn't work for National Lampoon. And when it got its legs was when they got an art director who would make all the parodies look, you know, almost like the real thing. If you don't buy this magazine, we'll kill this dog. I mean, that's the idea is to, to, for the parodies. It's, it's got to look like the real thing and not like <clears throat> hippie dudes with chicks smoking dope. Yeah, so that's when it actually <clears throat> The magazine took off, and at its peak, it was selling like about a million copies per month. Yeah, they were. 
scene? Yeah, I mean, and, and they did. I took a look through some of the older ones. I was actually looking through the 1971 issues. Uh, lots of cigarette ads. Yeah, cigarette ads, <laughs> probably. So it was cigarettes and record clubs. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what, what what other ads do they have? Uh, well, hold on, actually. Let me put on. Uh, you, me put you have this note on here. Going to drink at McSorley's. Yeah. So let's let's if we can go back. Just to, this is just a, a bit of trivia. I thought I laughed at in the movie when I saw it. Yeah. You remember the part where they're like, I think one of them's all like Doug's all stressed out or something, and Henry comes in, <clears throat> and it was really late. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he goes, let's go let's go drink and have a drink at McSorley's and go watch the sailors try to pick up runaways or something like that. <laughs> I was just like, all right, we've been to McSorley's. And how many beers would each of them get? Oh, they'd get two. Light or, light or dark. <laughs> I know, dude. It's like all those places are like right here in New York. You yeah, know? Dude, uh, did, did you see where their offices were? Was it Midtown? or? No, I didn't. I mean, yeah. Well, I'm going to look that up. Look that up, and I'll find these magazine issues. That would have been, but like being in New York in the 70s would have been something else. Well... I think it's mythologized. Uh-huh. First of all, it had been, there's a lot of cool shit going on, but it was scary as hell. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, again, it's all these people who just go, yeah, you go down to CBGBs and see, like, Talking Heads play. But, yeah, but, uh, like, I, I met, I've worked with people that um, gigged at CBGBs during that era. They said, yeah, when you're done with the gig, I would break a beer bottle and walk to the subway <laughs> so, for protection. <laughs> Because, uh, you know, it was scary. Like, on the, the, the L train in between First Avenue and, and Bedford, like uh-huh. that long tunnel, that's when the Puerto Rican gangs would come. Oh, uh, okay, yeah. So different different New York. Right, it was okay. just a bankrupt city, man. Yeah, Ford, Ford to City, drop dead. Okay, so we got – all right, so we, this is the infamous uh, issue – Featuring um, Alfred E. Newman from Mad Magazine as um, William Cowley from Vietnam, accused of the uh, My Lai Massacre. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he's on the cover. And then, see, we've got, let's, let's see, we got, so, uh, as I said, let me go back and see, uh, August, August of 1971. Wow. Yeah. Is so that we, the first issue? No, nah, first issues was like, uh, this is the first... Um, it's the first volume, yes. Yeah, so it's volume one, uh, volume one, number 17. So it's the first, must have been the first, uh, so they were once a month. Yeah, so it's, it's a volume one. Let's go with that. Yeah, no, sounds good. Yeah, so um, we got cigarette ads, we got Windjammer Cruises. Ah. <laughs> a Woody Allen volume two. <laughs> you get it oh. That was as your we get a subscription. You get a Woody Allen record. Oh, nice! Yeah, uh, posters. Yeah, <laughs> but it's like Woody Allen now is sort of almost Bill Cosby-ish. Okay, I know. Yeah, in a little way, it's like yeah. Uh, oh, now we do have we do have uh, an action. I've never actually seen this dude. <laughs> the actual How to Pick Up Girls uh, book. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of the, that type of stuff yeah. in there. Yeah. So uh, here, here's here's a little tidbit. Uh, here's a tidbit uh, that they didn't include the movie that they included in the documentary. Um, Doug Kenny was 
known for um, always sticking his dick in uninspecting women's ears while at parties. Yeah, I'm not. What was the? Um, how does that work exactly? Can you do you have any more information? I on think that? like a woman would be sitting there, and he'd come up behind and whip out his dick and put it in their ear, and then they turn around, and then again, uh, very. 1970s, you could get away with that humor, not so much in 2018. Yeah, not so much now. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Uh, I was trying to figure out how that would work with if, if somebody was uh, standing up, but then I was like, oh, no, no, they'd be sitting down. Then I get it. They'd be sitting down. Uh, you could say different era, different era. And it's really funny because, uh, again, uh, Lemmings was the uh, National Lampoon um, uh, touring group, which had like Belushi and Chevy Chase in it and Gilda Radner and, and it was started by uh, Tony Hendra who was uh, one of the founding editors uh, who I was just on a podcast with because I name drop because um, he had the background of being in a, a comedy duo that was on the Merv Griffin show a lot yeah and that actually you can find uh, there was a big I think they were going to put it out you know nicely packaged on DVD but the, the videotape got out there's a videotape of the Lemming show from I think that's 74 and huh? that you can find that on YouTube it's, it's the whole tape it's, it's like a videotape performance of you know everybody in there Belushi uh, I think I saw Lorraine Newman in there. Lampoon is the hippest place to be to write comedy until the hippest place became Saturday Night Live. It was written by some Lampoon people. It was starring some former Lampoon people. Chevy Chase chuckled and he said, nobody gets laid writing for the National Lampoon anymore. Better luck next time. Yeah, I mean, some of those bits, they just moved over to Saturday Night Live because, you know, again, as we all know, uh, uh, towards the end, it wasn't really towards the end, but it was like towards the end before the buyout, um, Saturday Night Live poached all the main writers from National Lampoon and the National Lampoon touring group to be in uh, Saturday Night Live. Yeah, <laughs> and it was like... Yeah, it was basically, they just, it basically, the first season of Saturday Night Live was the TV version of National Lampoon. Yeah, more or less, yeah, and that's how they, uh, they, um, kind of started losing, they started losing yeah, some my, of their Michael steam. Yeah. yeah. What's that? Yeah, that's when they seemed like they started losing some, some of their steam. Oh, so what I was trying to say is there's this cast photo of the National Lampoon touring group, and there's a woman in the front. I don't recognize who the actress is. And the two men actors that are beside her, I think one is Chevy, uh, they each have a hand on her boob, a la that famous Al Franken photo. Oh, my God. Oh my God. from uh, the Senate. Why didn't why, we need to out? So that Al Franken, as you all know, uh, Got to start on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, so. so that was sort of the humor they grew up on until you become a senator and not so funny anymore. No, you can't do it. Maybe we could get uh, Chevy Chase fired if he runs for something. <laughs> yeah, isn't that weird? Like, Chevy Chase was like the sex symbol of Saturday Night Live. <laughs> yeah, he was. Uh, and that was the thing, in, uh, that was in that, to go back to the futile, stupid movie, was that when he would kind of do the the uh, Joel McHale who was playing Chevy would kind of do the Chevy Chase kind of uh, tripping and falling thing. Yeah. Which felt a little forced. Do you remember that part? Remember the one where he, they were at his parents' house? Um. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, part of the movie was just sort of just <laughs> second email. Okay. You know, I mean, I, just I guess in summary, you know, it's not a great movie. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that would be it's, uh, it's interesting enough. And they go through uh, history, but it just kind of moves fast. It's like, all right, well, 
Doug went him. Doug went away, and now he's not welcome in the editorial movies. So he's going to go in the next room. And hey, he's got the idea for the high school parody thing. Yeah. And they did that. It's like, all right, but well, I don't know what I'm going to do next. I'm going to write a movie about college. And then I'll write one about golf. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'll write one about modern problems with Chevy Chase. So he, he did. He did that one as well. Modern problems. Yeah, so uh, the movie, uh, which is true, is that uh, it ended when uh, Doug Kenny, um, what really flipped him out was uh, after writing Animal House, which is the success, most successful comedy of all time at, at that period. And right. he got topped by Ghostbusters, actually, when Ghostbusters came out. Uh, he followed up with Caddyshack, and it didn't get a warm response when it first came out. Caddyshack. Starring Chevy Chase as Ty Webb. Who is that disgusting man over there? A sportsman who really knows how to score. No, that was interesting, and that's because um, that was actually the really to talk about the other movie, to talk about the documentary. That was like actually the really enlightening part of that documentary, because you know I enjoyed the Caddyshack, and I didn't realize basically the movie in the documentary they were saying yeah that was basically a National Lampoon movie all but in name Caddyshack was. Oh, yeah, the director is yeah. Harold Ramis. Yeah, so, yeah. And Harold Ramis, as, as, you know, he was in the original touring group. Yeah, and you just figure out, that's, I wonder why they didn't have the name on it. But the uh, the coolest thing in the uh, in the documentary was they pointed out that people, the ac- extras in the background, were all doing coke when they were filming. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it looked pretty crazy because, like, Doug Kenny was at his probably fever coke pace. and But the the... the the lukewarm reception of Caddyshack is what everyone said made uh, Doug Kenny uh, go over the edge. Yeah. Literally. So, uh, he went on vacation with Chevy Chase, and also his girlfriend was there, but she got like written out of the movie. Uh, she was there in uh, Kauai, Hawaii, and uh, Chevy Chase went back to L.A., and Doug Kenny stayed, and then they found his body uh, at the bottom of a cliff. Right, and his um, the the movie the feudal and stupid tries to postulate they think it was a suicide because they show his shoes at the top of the hill. Yeah, and as Harold Ramis joked, uh, he probably fell when he was looking for a place to jump. Yeah, that was that's his little quip. Uh, you know, they found you know notebooks of his where he was writing down ideas for movies. On the back of a receipt they found in his hotel room, uh, it's uh, he wrote down these last few days are among the happiest I've ever ignored. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they speculated that. Uh, just just as a uh, just an offshoot, uh, did you know that Harold Ramis co-wrote Caddyshack too? Uh, Which was a huge flop. It wasn't even a lukewarm thing that stands the test of time. It was bad when it came out. It's bad now. I think it's got Jackie Mason in it. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get ready to rumble. What goes around comes around. Welcome back to Caddyshack. Hey, Ty, you're looking well. Hey, nice to see you, Vinny. Uh, Ted, whatever. Yeah, Jackie Mason <laughs> played the, the Rodney Dangerfield role. Yeah, I've no, I've never seen I've never seen uh, Caddyshack two. Maybe I'll just keep it that way. Yeah, it's like seeing Meatballs too. <laughs> oh my god, is that the one with Corey Haim? I think there's three Meatballs. Uh, okay, there's, there's there's more than one Meatballs. 
But um, so when when, when Doug uh, passed away, uh, either from suicide or it, w- it was ruled an accident. Uh, one of the writers uh, from the National Lampoon said uh, Doug is probably in heaven right now, putting his dick in Eleanor Roosevelt's ear. Oh dear, now that would be <laughs> so right. inappropriate. Yeah, it was. I know. I know. And FDR can't do anything about it because he's in a wheelchair. Ghost FDR couldn't even do anything (laughs) about it. No. But maybe he'll be, he would have been healed when he gets to heaven. Yeah, so the movie, The Feudal Stupid Gesture, ends with uh, Doug Kenny's funeral, where they're playing the song Beautiful Dreamer, uh, which was played at his funeral, but at his real life funeral, it was played on a harmonica. Which is a bit different. Okay. What were they playing on the movie? I don't remember. It would, um, I don't know. Okay. I was just reading the fact that it, it was played on a harmonica in real okay. life, okay. than the way it's played in the movie. Just a little minor detail. Right. But the most annoying thing is how it ends. It's like, all right, it's a sad funeral, and then the actor playing Belushi yells, "Food fight!" Oh my god! It's a <laughs> food fight. At the wedding or at the funeral. I think one of the reviews that I've read, which we'll link in our uh, in our uh, description podcast description. Um, yeah, I think it's, I'm pretty sure it's a Slate review where they at the end they kind of got some of the details of the food fight wrong and they had to issue a retraction. And <laughs> their retraction is kind of oh, yeah. yeah, it's kind of funnier than the article because they're like yeah, a shrimp cocktail was not in fact thrown. It was sushi. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was it. <laughs> Yeah, like that's the, the the deal breaker on it. <laughs> so Paul Krasner, uh, who's a San Francisco guy and actually uh, has the credits of uh, doing acid with Groucho Marx, but he was the editor of the 1960s magazine The Realist, which I think that magazine lasted to the 80s. Um, uh, he said he was there at the funeral. He said um, he thought of the idea of starting a food fight, but didn't want to be known forever <laughs> as the asshole who did it. Yeah, so, so there's some decorum even at the funeral of National Lampoon. And another thing the movie didn't include was Henry Beard actually wasn't going to attend the funeral. Uh, like once he pocketed, uh, I think – it says here three million, but I think he only got like two point five million in the buyout deal. He packed up his desk and walked out of Lampoon for good, and just didn't have contact with anyone. But he ended up going to the funeral, and for some reason, one of the pallbearers failed to show up. And someone pointed at Henry, uh, who happened to be standing nearby, and said, "Henry, you." And with that, he took the casket. Ah, oh, well, that was nice. Yeah, and, and, you know, it ended with a stupid food fight. I thought the ending of the documentary was more touching when you actually got sort of Chevy Chase uh, choked up, you know, just real Chevy Chase choked up. Yeah, yeah, I mean. He's my best friend, and I miss him to this day, you know. Yeah. Uh, Where, you know, the movie, this one just ended like crazy food fight like they did in that animal house. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's just, it's just, yeah, sometimes the reality is better. So I think that about does it. Uh, kind of our take on A Feudal and Stupid Gesture, which is now available on Netflix, compared to Drunk Stone Brilliant Dead, which is also available on Netflix, which is the documentary on National Lampoon and Doug Kenny. And with that, uh, folks, please remember to subscribe, comment, also donate money uh, to our podcast, Comedy History 101. 
you can find all the episodes of Comedy History 101 on our website, Words Over Chair. Do you have anything to plug? Well, um, as you all know, we also do, Harmon and I also do a, a podcast all about presidents, the National Lampoon of Presidents that we just talked about, Trump. Uh, the podcast is called This is the President. You can find that also on wordsoverchair.com, on iTunes, and all your favorite cool, super neato uh, podcast outlets. Yes, and as always, I have a book to plug. Uh, please check out my new book. It is called Meet the Deplorables, Infiltrating Trump America. Um, you can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. And with that, we will see you next time. Bye-bye. You're stupid. Everybody's so stupid. Good thing about doing comedy in Russia, you have captured the audience. You're stupid. Everybody's so stupid. Comedy History 101.